Hey everyone, I'm Thanos Davelis and welcome back to The Greek Current, a podcast by the Hellenic American Leadership Council and Kathy Merini, where we highlight the top stories of the day every afternoon with analysis from guest experts, policymakers, journalists, and health staff. Russia launched a full-scale invasion of Ukraine early on Thursday, sending troops across the border from several directions and bombing targets across the country. President Biden announced new sanctions on Russia's military and economy in response to its invasion, while the EU announced it would introduce the harshest sanctions ever on Russia. Vasilis Nedos and Yanis Paleologos join the Greek Current with the latest reports and analysis from Athens and Brussels on what we know so far about Russia's invasion of Ukraine. We look at how Russia's invasion affects both Greece and Europe and examine the EU's response and what sanctions are on the table. Vasilis Nedos is Kathy Merini's diplomatic and defense editor, and Yanis Paleologos is Kathy Merini's Brussels correspondent. Vasilis, Yanni, welcome back on the Greek Current. It's great to have you both on with us. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having us back. Vasily, let's kick off with what we know so far about Russia's invasion of Ukraine. What's your initial analysis of the overall situation as Russian tanks and forces streamed into Ukraine this morning? Well, first of all, I should note that, you know, in times of war, usually truth is the first casualty. So I should comment here that whatever we say, you know, should be taken with a pinch of salt because apparently we don't know what the actual operational circumstances are right now on the ground. Uh, I would say that uh, right now the Russian forces have attacked Ukrainian sovereignty on all fronts. There is an effort to cut uh, the Ukrainian forces off the Black Sea. There are some successful incursions in the northwest from uh, the armies that entered the Ukraine from uh, the Belarusian frontier. There are uh, very severe battles from what we hear around the city of Kharkiv. And there are also clashes around the area of Mariupol at the east of Ukraine. So it is an all-out invasion. The Ukrainian forces, of course, are uh, qualitatively outgunned, I would say, by the Russians. There are some uh, special elements that we could actually make a distinct reference on, and that's how the Russians uh, attacked the airport of Hostomel, just 30 kilometers west of Kiev. In terms of operations, that, according at least to the people that know that kind of stuff I've spoken with, they say that this is something that we haven't seen in a conflict in the last years happening like that. I believe that tomorrow, with the rising sun, we are going to know a few more about what's going on on the battlefield. I think that President Zelensky's latest statements about the situation is that Ukraine cannot hold for much longer. is very indicative of what the circumstances are uh, on the ground. And let's see what tomorrow holds. Vasily, you're in Athens right now. What's the view from Greece on the war in Ukraine? You know, what are the main concerns and what steps is Prime Minister Mitsotakis' government taking to meet these concerns? The issue here in Athens is everywhere around the region is, of course, the concern about energy. The prices are hiking on a daily basis. The problem was huge anyway. Now it seems that it will get out of hand. Of course, this has consequences in the supply chain as a whole. So I would say that the war, even though it does not affect Greece directly, indirectly, of course, it has consequences on the society. And this, uh, of course, raises concerning the government as well. There have been some talks with the Americans on pumping some LNG in the local market. There have been some talks, of course, with the Bulgarians because Greece has to help Bulgaria secure its energy procurement because Bulgaria is dependent 100% on Russia for its energy. 
And on a second level, the diplomatic concerns in Greece are uh, focused around something that Minister of Foreign Affairs of Russia said uh, yesterday during an interview, but also during his uh, statement on the National Security Council convention on Tuesday, where he explicitly described the occupied northern Cyprus as Turkish Republic of Northern Cyprus. This is a terminology that is used only by Turkey. And when it's used by officials, it's usually described as a so-called Turkish Republic of Northern Cyprus. So since, you know, Ukraine already has a couple of so-called popular republics of Donetsk and Luhansk that are recognized only by Russia, there is another precedent that is very worrying for Greek diplomacy. But we'll see how that goes too. Vasily, in a piece you wrote this morning, you noted that U.S. Ambassador Jeffrey Pyatt praised the close cooperation between the United States and Greece throughout this tense period leading up to Russia's invasion. How crucial is this cooperation at this time? Well, you know, Greece has signed the modernized mutual defense cooperation agreement with the United States, uh, giving access to the port of Alexandrupoli, where uh, U.S. forces can rotate from the Mediterranean and the southern flank of NATO to the eastern flank of NATO, the Baltics and then Poland. We had 12 Apache helicopters rotating from Greece to Poland before their scheduled departure because of the crisis in Ukraine in order to enhance the capabilities of the alliance in the eastern flank. At the same time, it's because of the nature of the conflict in Ukraine. Greece and the United States are completely aligned in principle as well. So I would say that the relationship is very important for Greece at least, and I think that it's going to stay like that for the coming weeks when we will see the next episodes of this crisis in Ukraine unfolding. Yanni, I want to turn to you. You're currently in Brussels following developments. What's the overall sentiment like there? Well, Hannah, I would say there's a lot of disappointment and anger. There was an expectation, even after the recognition of the breakaway regions on Monday and the sending of the so-called peacekeeping force, there was a hope in some quarters that this would be the extent of it that it would allow the Russian president to say, this is what I've done all this for, I'm protecting the Russian speakers in these regions, and wouldn't go further. But of course, all the dire warnings turned out to be true. And since Tuesday, essentially, there's been a growing clamor for serious sanctions. There was a first package that was agreed on Wednesday, which included uh, listings, asset freezes, and travel bans for key members of the uh, Russian government and the Russian armed forces, and also measures to make it much harder, essentially impossible for Russia, the Russian government and the central bank to borrow in European uh, financial markets. But then, you know, we had the major escalation that began this morning. And so the emergency summit that had already been called for today assumed the new significance of the summit meeting has just begun. We're expecting it to go long into the night and into the next morning. And the expectation is that there will be an agreement on a second, much tougher sanctions package against Russia. Can you talk about you know, what proposals are on the table in terms of this much harsher sanctions package? Yeah, so there will be a complete, essentially, the Russian banking system as a whole. I, I should mention, in the first package, there were three banks named, one of which has close connection to the defense sector and to the armed forces. But with this new package, the entire banking sector of Russia will be cut off from Europe. And that means, among other things, that you know European banks won't be able to accept any new deposits from Russian citizens above 100,000 euros and things like that. There is going to be, I mean, this is the proposal and we're expecting the leaders to embrace it. 
The second main pillar is major export restrictions mirroring measures announced by the United States, export restrictions relating to strategic sectors, among others, the oil sector, but also defense. And the target there, the aim is to make it much harder, both for the Russian economy in general, but also especially for the armed forces to modernize. We expect something on visa policy, major restrictions there. We expect more listings of individuals, more people who are close to President Putin or who support and benefit from the regime to be sanctioned. And there's going to be a strong reference on Belarus, which is now clearly implicated in the invasion from the north. There won't be specific decisions on new listings for Belarus tonight, but there will be a clear political signal for the commission to work in that direction. There's been talk on both the U.S. side, Yanni, and in Brussels about kicking Russia out of the SWIFT banking system. Is this something that leaders are ready to do? Because it's been described as a nuclear option. It is on the table. It is being discussed, but the expectation is that it won't be adopted. There's a number of countries that think that it's too extreme a step. These countries, not surprisingly, are the ones that are among the most dependent in Europe on Russian gas. So the expectation is that despite considerable pressure from the U.S., that it won't be adopted. Yeah, and Ukraine's president has warned this could be the start of a major European war. Is there any discussion on a European level as to what steps need to be taken if sanctions don't have the desired effect? So that's a tricky one for the EU, at least, because first of all, you know, the track record of sanctions and especially sanctions in general, but sanctions on Russia in particular, has not exactly been stellar. They have proved completely ineffective in altering the behavior of President Putin himself or in creating fissures in the regime since 2014. Of course, you know, the counter-argument there is that this package is much more severe, but there are those who argue that sanctions are all the EU can do since it's unwilling or unable to do anything else. And that, in fact, for individuals close to the Russian president being listed, being included in the sanctions is sort of like a badge of honor and will be rewarded through, you know, more government contracts or other ways in which the regime can help them. So there isn't a tremendous expectation that it will be effective, but there is a desire for severe sanctions because almost all the member states feel that this is what the moment warrants. And then, of course, when it comes to actual measures on the defense front, that's more of an issue for NATO and will be discussed tomorrow at the hastily convened video conference of leaders. Can you give us any insight into positions on the NATO side? Has there been a response from NATO Secretary General, for example? Yes, so there have been a number of statements by the NATO Secretary General uh, this morning after a meeting of the North Atlantic Council, and then again after a meeting he had with President von der Leyen and President of the European Council, Charles Michel. He spoke of a, a brutal act of war on the part of Russia, a litany of lies coming from Moscow. He said peace in Europe can no longer be taken for granted. And on the practical side, he said that there was an authorization of NATO's defense plans, which is an important move. It means that military commanders on the ground have more authority now to make decisions about moving troops and equipment and other military assets to wherever they may be needed. Mr. Stoltenberg once again made it very clear that, you know, echoing Article 5, an attack on any member of NATO is an attack on all and will be met by the combined force of all. And he said there shouldn't be any miscalculation about that. And this came after, of course, the rather chilling reference by the Russian president, his early morning speech in which he said that any country that aids Ukraine, he didn't exactly describe what aids mean, will be met with consequences which they've never seen before in their history. 
So there will be discussions about this more about further strengthening the eastern flank and making sure that whatever depredations Russia visits upon Ukraine, there will be no thought of extending them beyond and into NATO. Vasily, Yanni, thank you both for joining us on The Greek Current with this analysis. Thank you, Thano. Thank you. In other news, Israel's President Isaac Herzog headed to Greece Thursday for a trip experts said marked a chance to reassure an ally as Israel moves to normalize relations with Turkey. Herzog opened his meeting with his Greek counterpart, Katerina Sakelaropoulou, by voicing support for Ukraine and concern for the country's Jewish community. He then stressed the importance of Israel's bold and strategic partnership with Greece. At his meeting with Greek Prime Minister Kyriakos Mitsotakis, Herzog underscored that the Israeli-Greek relationship was going from strength to strength. An Israeli official stressed that the improvement in the ties with Turkey is not coming at the expense of the very important relations with Greece and Cyprus. Finally, the Greek government has urged France, which holds the rotating EU presidency, to call an emergency meeting of EU energy ministers to discuss a collective response to surging energy prices, a trend now further exacerbated by Russia's invasion of Ukraine. This is a crisis situation which requires an EU-level response, Energy Minister Kostas Krekas wrote in a letter. So far, Greece's government has spent 2 billion euros to subsidize power bills for households and businesses facing soaring energy prices. It has lined up additional supplies of pipeline gas and liquefied natural gas should existing plans be disrupted by the Ukraine crisis. Greece imports about 40% of its gas from Russia, and many other EU countries also rely on Russia. That wraps up today's episode of The Greek Current. Thanks for tuning in.